Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello everyone, you're listening to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. I'm Steve. Unfortunately, Bill can't make it because of a heavy workload. He's just working nonstop. Therefore, he he can't come into the studio. And I wish he could. I wish he could. Somehow, we've got to get Bill some support so that he doesn't have to work in the field so much. Somehow, we have to get him into the studio. It's meant to be. So... I would ask you to think about sending in some support and maybe maybe make it specific support for Bill to be in the ministry, to be able to minister. Support for Bill is, is good enough. We'll know what you mean. Hopefully we can get Bill in here because he sure needs to be. We need him. All of us need him. Lord, In your timing, by your will, like it says in James 4.15, if you will, we will live and do this or that. We will live and support Bill so he can come in here and we can minister full time. But I'm glad to be here. It allows me to speak about things that are on, on, on my heart, things that God has got on my chest to get off my chest, and I think today I want to talk about the the Bible as a whole, how it's constructed and how it's fit together in the message it brings to us, and just how detailed God was and how intricate he was and how he laid. There, there isn't a stitch out of place. Every little story in every verse has its place and it belongs in the message and it brings us towards the final conclusion or the moral of the story but that's what I want to do I want to look at how the Old Testament is constructed in the message of the Old Testament in the paradigm shifts in the Old Testament and how the Old Testament just ends and it's totally incomplete. Did you know that? It just ends. It, the, the Old Testament just ends and there's a million questions. There's dozens of prophecies that have to be fulfilled. None of it gets answered. None of the questions get answered, and none of the prophecies are fulfilled. All the storyline that is going on with Israel just ends with nothing coming to a conclusion. The the Old Testament is just incomplete. It's meant to have more to the story, and... It gets more to the story with the New Testament. The New Testament fits at the end of the Old Testament perfectly. Perfectly. 
it fits. There's not a stitch out of place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That New Testament picks up where the Old Testament just ended abruptly at every loose end of the Old Testament. Every loose end of the Old Testament is tied up in the New Testament. It's all explained and given a good account of. Everything in the New Testament answers everything that was lacking in the Old Testament. And we will see it. We will see it. We'll know why God could make some of the prophecies to Israel about how You'll never fulfill my covenant that I've made with you. You'll never keep the 614 laws that I've given you. You just won't do it. Sing this song that says you won't do it, that you'll play harlot with other gods and you'll go off the track every other day. Constantly you'll go off the track. You can't stay on the track and you never will. You'll be a witness against yourself. And we needed to be a witness against ourselves, or Israel needed to be a witness against itself. It was They were a witness against themselves for a very specific reason, and I want to look at it. I want to see how the Old Testament harmonizes with the New Testament and what the logical conclusion of the book is and how the book is constructed how it's constructed to bring us to a point of revelation. It's, it's been constructed. It's, it's been put together piece by piece with a very specific purpose. And it's all intact. It's all right where it should be. There's nothing, not one jot or tittle out of place in either the Old or the New Testament. It all fits together Perfect. It all harmonizes. There's no contradictions in it. It all paints a beautiful, beautiful picture of this new covenant that we live in, whereby we are the vessels, we are the instruments that God uses here on planet Earth, and He lives in us to do everything that He needs to get done through us. And instead of using the rocks to cry out, he uses us to get his job accomplished. And the Old Testament was all constructed to bring us to that conclusion. And I just want to show you how how it does it. So we'll start off in Genesis and just go through the Bible. You know, you've got the, the in the beginning story and you know that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were immediately naked and ashamed, and they felt condemned. So God blocked them from ever being able to get into the Garden of Eden and have a chance to eat of the tree of life and live forever feeling condemned and feeling worthless. God did not want them to live forever with such a crummy feeling. He calls that crummy, crummy, crummy feeling death. It's a form of death. In dying, you will die. 
is what Jesus actually said. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in dying you shall die, meaning in shame, in the feeling of shame that you carry around with you will ultimately cause your end of your life. In dying you shall die, in feeling miserable you shall ultimately die. And then we leave the the in the beginning story and we come to the first story in the Bible which is Cain and Abel and as you know Cain slew Abel because his offering was more acceptable by God than Cain's was but this is the one thing you need to pick up in the book of Genesis when God is talking to Cain and telling him not to lose heart. He says, sin is crouching down next to you and it desires you, but you must master it. God was saying sin desires to master and control you, but you must master it. Very significant little tidbit that was placed in that story. Just a verse or two, but oh, the significance of it. Oh, the significance of it. Because the fact of the matter is, is Cain never did master that sin which was crouching next to him. The sin mastered him. The sin that got access to the planet through Adam and Eve eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was sin in the world and it waged war against Cain and it mastered him. And like it says in Romans 5, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And sin mastered Cain, and through sin came death. So sin and death, that feeling naked and ashamed, were now in the world, and it spread to all men because all men missed the mark. Sin is the Greek word harmartia, and it's an archer's term. It means missing the mark, not hitting the bullseye. That's what sin means. And sin was in the world. Everybody was missing the mark. We were not hitting perfection. We were imperfect and we felt naked and ashamed because we were imperfect. And that feeling has gone through century after century and God wants to reverse that feeling so he put Jesus on the cross to say, hey, I died for all your imperfections, and in my eyes, you're not imperfect anymore. Dig on that. Dig on that. Receive it. Bring that in. Absorb that thought. You're not naked and ashamed. You are wonderful in my eyes. Live with that feeling. I sent my son down to die on planet earth to give you that feeling. I want you to have that feeling of being 
A-OK with me. I want you to walk around day and night feeling A-OK with me. That's why Jesus came down from heaven to earth to be the sacrificial lamb, to kill that feeling. Well, okay. So, we're going to see how this, this Old Testament was constructed and the storyline that goes through it. So, after we, after sin masters came, the Adam and Eve start populating the world and they're living, you know, eight, nine hundred years. So they're probably having literally hundreds of children and their children are literally having hundreds of grandchildren. And those grandchildren are literally having thousands of great-grandchildren. And the thousands of great-grandchildren are literally having babies. What's the word? What's the word? Exponentially. Those great-great-great-grandchildren are having children exponentially. And then those children are having children exponentially and the world is being populated very, very fast. You know, a couple hundred thousand per year. And Adam and Eve and those guys were li living 900 years. So the population was getting huge. And matter of fact, it got big and, and God ended up having... Noah built the ark and wiping out civilization through a flood except for a remnant, the same idea that he has running through the Old Testament from beginning to end, this idea of a remnant is in the Old Testament and it's there because God wants you to realize that when you were circumcised from your sin, all your sin was cut away from and there is a remnant inside of you. It speaks about it in Romans 11. There was a remnant that was saved and that's what becomes the new man. This remnant. So he put the remnant idea from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. He was constantly bringing up this idea of the remnant. And it's to let us know that the bad part of us was taken away and the good part was left. He kept always bringing the remnant of the good special people that he wanted and he kept those good people. It was the give you a picture of how he kept the good in you and cut away everything you don't like about yourself. We'll, we'll get into the circumcision in a minute because God has made the remnant of the earth and it repopulates again. And out of that populated earth, God comes down or Jesus comes down and speaks to one man, Abraham, it says the word of the Lord came down to Abraham saying, then it says, and the word of the Lord 
took Abraham outside of the tent, meaning the word of the Lord is a man. It's none other than the word of the Lord. Christ is the word of the Lord. He's the word of the Lord in the book of Revelation. He's always been the word of the Lord. And here, Abraham is talking to the word of the Lord, which is Jesus. But Jesus tells him he's going to have a baby, and that baby is for a reason. That baby is going to populate a peculiar people, and he marks them out by giving Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And he says, you'll be circumcised in the skin of your foreflesh, and it will be a sign of the circumcision between you and me. He says, all people will be circumcised, all the men will be circumcised, and you'll be circumcised in the skin of your foreflesh, and it will be a sign of the circumcision, meaning there's one circumcision that Abraham did to all his descendants, which marked them out as a peculiar people and let everybody know who the nation of Israel was. They were easy to spot because they were different than the rest of the people in the land. So Israel was easy to mark out, but there was an invisible circumcision that will come up in the New Testament because it doesn't get explained what that invisible circumcision is in the book of Genesis. It's just one of those loose ends that doesn't get tied up until the New Testament. It's a loose end that you just leave there. For the rest of the Old Testament, you leave that loose end. You've always wondered why did the people have to get circumcised? What a brutal little ritual that was to those poor little babies when they were eight years old. It just seemed cruel, but there was a very good reason for it. And we'll see it. It turns out to be very good, good news. So Abraham gets to this land and then he populates, begins to populate a nation called Israel with his children and grandchildren and everything and they become a pretty big clan and then out of that clan one of them gets taken to Egypt and in Egypt Joseph becomes a high-ranking official and when there's a famine in the land, Egypt brings the rest of Israel into Egypt. And then there's nothing to be said for 400 years. But in that 400 years, the nation that was circumcising themselves on the eighth day grew and grew and grew, probably till a couple million people, but they were a nation now. And now with the entire world focused on them, the nation, God creates 10 plagues and that catches the world's attention. And he takes Israel away from Egypt and he drowns Egypt and the world knows that God is with these people and he causes them to stay out in the desert for 40 years and they multiply and they get the 
all the laws and the commandments and then they get to the river and they're fixing to go into the river and across into their the land that they're going to take over God is going to give the 12 tribes 11 parcels of land and it's all to be divvied up and it it's the parameters are all in the Bible it tells you what the parameters were of each plot of land but as Israel is told about the land that they're going to enter and conquer God says when you enter this land I will bless you for doing good you keep my statutes and I will bless 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 you this is in the book of Deuteronomy but all of a sudden in the book of Deuteronomy he starts saying but if you don't it's going to be bad I'm giving you life and death. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And you choose life if you want. And then when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, he just blatantly comes out and says, you're never going to keep the covenant. You're going to play harlot with all the other gods. You're going to just make a disaster out of this covenant. It's not going to happen. You're not going to do it. You're going to be witnesses against yourself, he says, in the next to the last chapter of Deuteronomy. You're going to be witnesses against yourself, meaning they were going to try and try and try to fulfill their end of that covenant between them and God, and they were going to fail and fail and fail, and the world would witness it. So after he tells them they're never going to do it, and they're going to be witnesses against themselves. He says, now it's time to conquer the land. And you come to the book of Joshua, where Joshua takes the people into the land. They conquer the 11 parcels of land for 12 tribes. And then they're all in there. And you get to Joshua 24, where the Bible makes a huge paradigm shift. In other words, the message of the story changes from here on out because God has populated a planet. He has populated a peculiar people to be their God in that planet. He has gotten the world's attention through the 10 plagues and conquering the 11 parcels of land for the 12 tribes. He has done all this stuff and the whole world knows it and he told them that they would be witnesses against themselves that the world would see what they're doing so Joshua comes up in Joshua 24 after they conquered the land and split it up Joshua says with a loud voice choose this day which God you'll serve as for me and my household, we will serve the living God. And after he said that, he pretty much walked off the stage and died. But the Israeli nation said, we will serve our God. He's awesome. Look at all the good things he does. We would love to serve him. We love him and we would love to serve him. 
far be it from us to serve anybody else. We are going to serve God. He took us out of the land of Egypt and brought us into this promised land. And he's totally awesome. And he's the love of my life. And I love him and I will serve him. And Joshua says, you can't serve him. He is too holy. He'll always remember your sins and lawless deeds. And they said, no, 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 but we will serve him. We will serve God. Honest to God, we will serve God. And he says, you can't. You'll be a witness against yourself. That's in Joshua 15, 24, 15 and following. He says, you will be a witness against yourself. And the paradigm shift to the Bible begins now because God populated a planet. He populated a peculiar people. He made it very well known that he was their God. And then he set the stage by giving them 614 commands and told them to accomplish those commands and serve him. And the stage was set. The stage was set. The game was on. Could Israel serve God? Survey says no. For the for the rest of the Old Testament, you, you put your thumb in Joshua and you put your th finger in Matthew, and all that section of the Bible is teaching you about the futility of Israel trying to please God. They could not do it. All they ever did was mess up to the left, mess up to the right, and go around in circles and do it wrong again and get it wrong again. And on and on it went with their futility. But for that thousand or so pages that you read, you're reading about the futility of Israel trying to please God. The same story, the same moral to the story over and over and over and over again. Every which way you want to tell the story. They couldn't please God as hard as they tried. Same story over and over again until you get to Matthew or until you get to the end of the story about Israel, which just ends abruptly. All of a sudden, nothing's answered. It just says, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's the end of the story. It just leaves you hanging. And you go through what they call the 400 years of silence, where God wasn't speaking, just like the 400 years Israel was in Egypt populating. There was 400 years of silence there before Moses came, and there was 400 years of silence before Jesus came. But then Jesus comes on the scene 400 years later. But until that 400 years had passed, you've got an incomplete story about Israel, and the only thing you've learned from Israel was they could not keep up their end of the covenant. No matter how hard they tried, 
they failed. That's what Joshua 24:15 till the end of the Old Testament is about. If you're reading about the futility of Israel trying to please God, you see the forest. If you're reading about one failure, thinking, well, I could do better. That was a sin. He shouldn't have done that. You're looking at the trees. But if you get the fact that they never could serve God the way they wanted, at the level they wanted, then you see the forest, not the trees. Because that's what the story of the Old Testament is about. How futile it was for those poor people. They were the chosen people. Israel was the chosen people. You hear them say, we're the chosen people. But what were they chosen for? To be witnesses against themselves that they could not serve God in their own human strength? To give us that message over and over and over again and to be dismantled and be destroyed and be persecuted and have droughts and famines and everything go against them because they weren't able, weren't able to. It wasn't that they weren't trying. They weren't able to please God. It's kind of a, it's a shame. It, uh, it's kind of cruel that they weren't able and they did not know why. They said, why can't we serve the God? I remember one time Jesus said, I think in Jeremiah 17, he, he says, I'm fixing to fashion calamity against you if you don't turn around and repent. And they said, it's all hopeless. We'll all serve the dictates of our evil hearts. That By that time, they knew they just couldn't do it. There was something evil in their heart, and it caused them not to do it. They knew that the heart was deceptfully evil. Who can know it? They were beginning to become aware that something was causing them not to be able to fulfill their end of the covenant, and they sincerely, sincerely, sincerely were trying. Now, as the beginning, or as the Old Testament begins to wind down and come to the end of the Old Testament, and God is saying, I'll fashion calamity against you if you don't repent. And they're saying, man, we'll all just follow our own evil hearts. It's hopeless. We have no hope. It's hopeless. God start begins to start saying, like in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, he says, I will make a new covenant with you, not like the ones I made with your father. It will be a new covenant. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to live righteously. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, which is what they wanted to do for close to 2,000 years and couldn't do it. He said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to do that. And your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He said, I'll make a new covenant with you where your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more and I will do for you what you could never do for yourselves. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to live 
the model Christian life. I'll do it for you. The burden is off your shoulders. I'll make a new covenant with you. And then we come to the end of the old covenant and the 400 years of silence. We go through that and we start in the book of Matthew. And we see a baby named Jesus being born. He's born of a virgin which begins to fill some of those Old Testament prophecies that hadn't been fulfilled yet. Jesus begins fulfilling all those prophecies and we'll see it, that he was born of a virgin and Jesus is there. He lives for 33 years and then starts a public ministry and he says to the people, I have come to preach to you that the kingdom of God is near. I'm coming and I'm bringing the kingdom of God to planet Earth. You're going to be able to see the kingdom of God eventually because I'm bringing it here on Earth. And I want you all to repent and come and follow me and rest from your works and give the burden to me and I will establish this kingdom on earth for you to see. I will make this new covenant. I will ratify it. And in the new covenant is built the kingdom of God on earth. And once we started being born again, the kingdom of God began to populate. Do you remember one of the things Jesus said to Nicodemus? Unless you're born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. And then he says, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit, meaning Humans give birth to baby humans, but the spirit from above gives birth to the spirit that is inside of the humans, the one that can see the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God. He was telling Nicodemus how he's going to populate the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is going to be here on earth. Too cool, too cool. But then Jesus begins to start telling the crowds that he must die and be raised on the third day. And they could not understand what he was saying. But at the end of his ministry, he began telling the disciples in the upper room discourse that he was going to heaven and he would come back down in spiritual form. And that while he was going to heaven, he would cause them to be dwelling places for his spirit. He would go to heaven, cause them to be clean dwelling places for his spirit. Then he would come back down in spiritual form, which is what he did on the day of Pentecost. He came down like a mighty rushing wind and there was tongues of fire and the tongues of fire rested 
on the disciples' head, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they went out on the balcony and preached the gospel, and 3,000 people came to hear what that mighty rushing wind was, and they all received the gospel, and they were born from above. Spirit began to give birth to spirit, just like Jesus told Nicodemus. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Well, spirit just gave birth to spirit, and the kingdom of God was populating. The kingdom of God was populating and growing. 3,000 spirits were born in one day. 3,000 members of the kingdom of God were born in one day, and they could see the act of the kingdom of God and make it enter the kingdom of God. So the question is, how were we prepared to be vessels for the spirit to live in? It, ha it has all to do with that Abrahamic covenant where God said you will be circumcised in your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the circumcision that all men do. Do you remember Jesus saying to the disciples when they asked, can we sit on your right hand in heaven? And he said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Well, they had already been baptized. What baptism was he talking about? Because he said, you will be baptized. Even Jesus had been baptized. What baptism was it? It's explained in Romans 6, 1 and following. It says, all of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And we were buried with him through baptism into death. We all paid our sin debt and were left in the ground it goes on to say, don't you know that the old man of us was crucified? Meaning the part of us that we're ashamed of, the old man of us, the part of us that does the sin, the part of Israel that always did the sin in Israel, kept making them sin and sin and sin again. And they didn't know why. Well, it was because the old man of them was causing them to sin. And this says the old man of us was crucified in God's eyes when Jesus was on the cross and died. The old man of us was crucified. And then it was buried. And then Colossians 2.10 and following says... You've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the, in the death and burial of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the new man of us was raised with him. The old man of us was left in the grave in God's eyes, and we were circumcised from everything that ever embarrassed us.
from the human nature that constantly embarrasses us and ever did embarrass us, we were circumcised from. That's why he tortured the nation of Israel for 2,000 years, making them get circumcised. It was to show us that everything we don't like about ourselves, God left in the ground and separated us from them. And he sees us as holy, righteous vessels that he can inhabit. That's how he, when he told the disciples, I'm going to prepare you guys to be vessels for me. That's how he did it. He circumcised us from everything we don't like about ourselves, everything the people around us don't like about ourselves, everything that God wouldn't like about us. God saw that as left in the ground, and we were separated from it. We were circumcised from it. That's why we have the sign of circumcision today to give us the truth of that reality that God is trying to get us to learn about. But now that we are clean vessels for God to inhabit, he inhabits by pre one person preaching the gospel to another, and through the gospel, the person is born again, literally of the sperma of God. That's how graphic it is. He is born again of the sperma of God. The spiritual sperma is impregnating this clean vessel with the spirit of God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And in that, the new covenant was inaugurated. It was started. It began to mechanically roll as spirit gave birth to spirit because that's what he said. I will put my spirit within you. This is the way he put his spirit in us and fulfilled that covenant in Ezekiel. By being born from above, each person tells the gospel to somebody else and they're born from above. That is how the new covenant begins. That's how it it runs, really. That's how it runs. And God said, I'll make a new covenant with you and I'll put my spirit in you to do for you what you can't do for yourselves. You will be the instruments that I use and I live in and I work through. And this is the covenant that I in making because the old covenant didn't work because in your human nature, as Romans 7 tells us, in your human nature, you do not have the strength to beat the sin that was crouching next to Cain in the book of Genesis that we started out this podcast with. It said, Sin is crouching next to you. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Well, that sin mastered our human nature ever since that day. For thousands of years, sin has mastered us. And now we've received the spirit in us who can put to death the deeds of that sin God. He can make him dormant and the Spirit of God within us can manifest itself 
And like he said, I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to live the way you always wanted to live, the way you imagined yourself to live when you said, we'll serve God. He's so holy and beautiful and awesome. All I want to do is serve him. And you find yourself not serving him. Well, it's the spirit of God who does it for you. Just rely on that spirit to cause you to blossom in the spirit will do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's what Jesus said when he actually told us the moral to the Bible. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and I'll abide in you. For in me you can bear fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. That's the moral to the Bible. Apart from me, that's the moral to the Old Testament. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Israel managed to do in 2,000 years. They actually did nothing. They never got anything accomplished that God would feel. Remember he said, your righteousness is as a filthy rag? All the righteous things that they accomplished counted for nothing. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But what does Paul say in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything we need to do to please God, we can do through Christ who strengthens us. That's the moral to the Bible as a whole. Everything gets done by God in you. That's the moral to the Bible as a whole. The whole Bible has been constructed to bring you to this one revelation that it is Christ in you who is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of accomplishment. It is the hope of pleasing the people around you. It is the hope of walking in an exemplary Christian life. It is the hope of being proud of what you see yourself doing. It is the hope for all good. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control are all the characteristics that you need, all the character attributes that you need. It all comes down to the moral of the story. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, you can do all things. And this entire Bible was constructed to bring us to that conclusion and then tell us about what this new covenant that we live in is like. And then we can learn about this new covenant, which is what I want to do here at Guardians of Grace. Just keep learning about the new covenant and learning about the new covenant and how awesome it is and how the burden has been taken off our shoulders and Jesus has come to give us rest. All of us who are heavy, burdened, and weary. So with that in mind, I hope it, it makes sense. The construction of the Bible and the moral of the story and how the Bible was put together and what the Bible wants you to understand about it. What the Bible wants you to understand about the Bible. I hope this gives you some sort of clue as to what this Bible is about. And I pray, Lord, I pray, please spread out your 
spirit of wisdom and revelation on everybody who listens to this podcast and give them ears to hear and a mind to understand and eyes to picture what the Bible is telling them, Father. Allow them to have the mind of Christ and just absorb this good news for what it is, Father. Allow them to take root and not be like infants blown back and forth by the waves and the wind of doctrine and the cunningness of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, growing up into the head, into a mature person, Christ, not being infants, but being mature, understanding, taking root in what your Bible says and not be blown away by deceptive fine-sounding arguments that contradict the Bible itself. Allow us to take root, Father. Allow us to take root and not blow in the wind. It's in your Son's name I pray and ask these things. And I give you the glory in his name. Thanks, you guys. We love you. I hope, hope this made sense.